Some of you have too. But Gene Faber, he, <laughs> he, he studied them. He, he grew up making, you know, it was his career to study caterpillars. How cool is that? That you can make a living study caterpillars. Where did I go wrong? Well, he studied this particular caterpillar called a processional caterpillar. And, uh, and it was really unique because what these caterpillars would do is whenever you would put a couple of them beside each other, before long, they would end up head to tail in a line, in a processional line. And they would begin following each other. Sounds pretty cool. So he would, he would study, you know, what, what it would take to, to get them out of line, and nothing would get them out of line. You, you throw a few more in there, and, and, and they would come up behind and follow the line that has already been started. And in one of his tests, he, he had a potted plant, and he started a line of these caterpillars around this plant. He, he had enough of them to form a circle around this, this pot. And then he went away for a week, and he came back, and they were still marching processing around this potted plant. I mean, you know, I guess you can make money doing just about anything, right? It was their instinct that whenever they found another of their kind, they would get right up behind them and form this line. Now, it doesn't matter if you knew where the line was heading, where it was going. You just followed wherever the line went. So what I want to do today is I want to discuss how this behavior, how this behavior is instinctive within the church. An instinctive behavior that can lead us down an unintended path where no one knows why do we do what we do. How have we gotten on the path we're on or how do we right this ship and get it back on course? Luke chapter 5 is going to help us see how to get out of this spiritual processional. Let's take a look. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret with the people crowding around him and listening to the word of God, he saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so... I will let down the nets. Pray with me. Father, as we are in this moment, draw our attention not to the distractions around us, but to your word. And may what is spoken today, may it be that which the Holy Spirit can take and bring about a change in course that glorifies and honors you in this place for your kingdom here and now in this day and age. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this point in Jesus' ministry, with it being Luke chapter 5, we all understand that this is early on in his ministry, amen? 
It's early, Luke chapter 5. It's a little bit young in the, in the, in the book, isn't it? This is the chapter where we know, and the story where, where we know that he is going to call the first apostles to follow him. But before he does so, he has something to teach those that he's about to call. Something to reveal about himself, and as well as something he wants them to see about themselves. And it starts after a long, hard night of fishing. Men who had been fishing all night. This is one of our, our, our greatest things to do, right? If you're, if you're an outdoorsman, having the approval of your wife, but also the chance, the opportunity to be able to go and to fish all night. Wow. Now we're talking some religion, right? But there is a problem. Now, they weren't just doing this for fun. This was their trade. They relied on this to be able to support themselves and to support their families. And at the ending of this particular night, we know that, well, probably like some of us in here, they caught Zippo, Nada, nothing. Now, these, these are men who are, quote, experienced fishermen. Yet they fish a little bit like me, it seems. And what do they have? They have this carpenter's son who walks up and sees that they haven't caught anything and gives them some fishing advice. Now, I, I don't know about you, but I have found over the years that there's always someone who thinks that just because they've watched a couple of YouTube videos, they can come and to tell you how to do what you've been doing your entire life. Anybody had that experience before? Just to let you know, I'm one of those people. All right? Okay. I'm one of those. I've watched a couple of YouTube videos, and, and now I can change the alternator on my car. That was awesome. I came in. I said, honey... I did that. Look at my hands. It was awesome. Watch a couple of YouTube videos and you know what you're doing. But here's a carpenter now. And he's coming up and he's saying, well, you know, I know you've been fishing all night, but why don't you push out just a little bit further than where you've been fishing? Oh. Now he's meddling. You don't tell somebody that their fishing hole isn't good enough. At least that's what I understand. That's, that's their fishing hole. That's where they've been fishing, successful or not. Can I ask you a question? What did Jesus teach that day? What was his sermon on? I mean, can, is it in there? It, it, I mean, it's said that he borrowed Simon Peter's boat so he could teach the crowd on the shore, but Luke doesn't record for us what the sermon notes were in this instance. I find that intriguing. How many sermons have you sat through, good sermons, mind you, that you left and as soon as you started your car, what was that passage again? 
But how many of you on the ride home said, boy, that was a good illustration? Or talked about the joke, you know, or, 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 or what, you know, the joke that the pastor shared. That was a funny joke. I like the story of the family that was going home from church one day, and the pastor, not the pastor, the, the, the dad, he was, drive, he was complaining about everything as he was driving. The music was too loud. There were songs that he didn't know. People weren't friendly. The temperature was too cold. The preacher preached too long. And the son from the back seat said, but yeah, dad, that wasn't too bad for a dollar. Now, see, I gave you something that you can go home with, right? If you don't remember anything else today. But, but it's true. Luke, or let me, let me go back. Peter doesn't tell Luke what Jesus preached about that day. I mean, that's how Luke got this information down to write it to Theophilus to encourage him in his faith, first chapter of Luke. Luke is, is, is interviewing the apostles as he's writing down the stories, the events of, 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 of the Christ. This is after he's come back to Jerusalem, after Paul, after traveling with Paul, and after Paul ends up in jail. And he's there in Jerusalem, and, and he's interviewing the apostles, and they're, they're, they're telling him, let me tell you what, what Jesus did here. And he's, and he's writing them down, he's recording them for us. Peter doesn't even get to the sermon outline because that wasn't what gripped him that day. It was the illustration. It was, it was what Jesus showed him. Now, a lot of times we get into the habit of, of a particular routine particular way about ourselves. We fall in line as churches with the same programs, the same emphasis. You can go from one church to the other and it's, it's like a cookie cutter. It's, it's the same church, the same programs. It's just different people. And, and when we ask ourselves, well, why do we do what we do some people take offense to that. Well, it's just what you're supposed to do, right? You're a church. You're, this is how you're supposed to do church. This is how you're supposed to dress. This is the type of version of, the, of Scripture you're supposed to read. This is the thickness of the book that you're supposed to carry. And you're not supposed to use a tablet or a phone to read Scripture. You have to have paper. You have to be able to flip There's a story about a young lady who was cooking dinner, helping her mother prepare dinner. And she was watching her mother prepare dinner on this day, and the mother put out the roast, got her big knife, and cut the ends off the roast, picked up the roast and put it in the pan and into the oven. And her daughter asked her, Mom, why, do you cut, why did you cut the ends off the roast? Mother said, I don't know. My, my, my mother did it. Well, let's call her. So they, so they called Grandma and say, Grandma, we're preparing the roast and we got a question for you. Why do we cut the ends off the roast before we put it in the oven? Grandmother said, I don't know. That's what I saw my mother do. Well, great-grandmother was still living, so they called great-grandma. 
Grandma, why do we cut the ends off the rose? Nobody knows why. Great grandma's reply, my pan was too small. <laughs> and here they thought that it was, you know, it was some, something of that, 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 that some, some great secret to the recipe that, that well, what, what is it about this roast? Why do we cut the ends? Nobody, nobody knew. Think about it. A practice, a habit, a tradition that's been passed down generation after generation, and yet no one knows why. We just blindly fall in line and continue doing it, following the example or the legacy that was left for us, never asking why. Would you agree with me that there are some things some, some good things that we do just out of routine because we feel like this is just what we're supposed to do. And there's no passion behind the ministry. There's really no love for it beyond the idea that this is just the way church is supposed to work. Can I just say something really honest? It seems like that churches today have just fallen in line with just doing church. What does it take to just do church? But we're not called to do church. As in this passage, we're called to be fishers of men. We spend so much time, so much energy, so much resources, so much blood, sweat, and tears in the programs and the ministries of the church that we have forgotten. And we're called to make disciples. Our basic instruction, the Great Commission from Matthew 28, as you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded, and I will be with you to the end of the age. I think that we forget that last part, that Jesus' presence, that his power is present when we keep the main thing the main thing. And it's not about doing church or remaining true to tradition. Our responsibility lies in being fishermen. So we have Peter, James, and John. They were the ones who knew how to fish. They knew how to fish. They had been doing it in this particular spot, on this particular night, the entire night, dropping their nets in, pulling them up, Nothing. Dropping them in, pulling them up, nothing. Can you imagine how water-soaked these nets were at this time? They'd been in water all night long. They would have been heavy. We already know they were dirty because they had been cleaning them. But just imagine how 
heavy these nets must have been. And here's this carpenter that comes along and he says, push out a little further. Go into deeper water. Jesus wasn't trying to impress them with his fishing ability or knowledge. He wasn't trying to show them where the fish were biting that day. What Jesus wanted to see is if these men, these men that he was about to call, what he wanted to see is if these men would do as Jesus told them to do. I believe he wanted to see if they'd let him be Lord. If these soon-to-be apostles would do as he asked. And if they would be willing to do what he asked, even when it made no sense to them. We've been fishing all night. We're tired. We're exhausted. We're spent. Even if it wasn't the way that they were used to fishing. Even if it didn't fit with the way they understood the fishing world worked. And I feel that in a lot of ways, when it comes to fulfilling the Great Commission, the reason why churches are declining in its effective work and its power is because we're trying to reason the Great Commission by the way the world works. We're trying to make sense of things by the way the world works. We're serving God from a worldly wisdom. And it's extremely misguided. Because this is how how it usually works out. We see how the world works. And then we reason with God from that perspective. But the world doesn't work the way God does. It doesn't. It's unable to. But we're supposed to. Little secret. We're supposed to work in the world with a God who has overcome it. But we're not. Because we're using worldly wisdom, worldly knowledge, and trying to understand this with that knowledge. We worship a God that calls us to do things. In unusual ways. You survey scripture. You go all the way back to when he called Moses to build the boat in the desert. It wasn't Moses, was it? No, it was Noah. What did the people say about Noah? You're nuts. This is the desert. And you know what? They had never even heard of rain before. By this time in scripture, the waters came up from underneath. It had never fallen from the sky. Noah was nuts. Building a boat out in the desert, you're insane. 
How about this one? Joshua, I want you to walk around a wall once a day for seven days. And on the seventh day, I want you to walk around it seven times and blow your trumpets and yell at the wall and it's going to come down. That's insane. I'm sure there were people on the wall making fun of them. And if you're a VeggieTales fan, throwing their purple slushies at them. Second Kings chapter 5, we have Naaman. Naaman, a great man of God, just won a great battle for the Lord. And he develops leprosy. So he goes to Elisha and Elisha tells him that he needs to go down to the Jordan River and dip himself in it seven times. And after he does so, he'll be cleansed. Well, Naaman gets upset. He gets angry. And he says, there are better waters in this land than Jordan. Why should I have to go all the way to the Jordan River to get cleansed? So after some counsel from the people around him, he he relents and he goes to the Jordan River and he dips himself seven times and he comes up and the, the leprosy is gone. Didn't make sense to him. Why go there? Samuel. He's in Jesse's house. And all of these strong, good-looking, tall men are being presented to him. And God says, no, not that one. No, not that one. No, not that one. Until pretty boy, young man, what, 12, 13 years old, with this reddish hue about him. He had a nice little tan, according to Scripture. That's the JDT version. Might not be the King James, sorry. And God says, that's the man you're going to anoint. To Samuel, that makes no sense. There's these big, strong men. This is the puny weakling you want? But God does not look at what man looks at. God looks at the heart. And then you have David, who's taking lunch to his brother's, on the scene of a battle where there's this big, tall Goliath who's hurling insults at them and blaspheming the name of God, and they're all hiding behind rocks, shivering. And David thinks, what is going on here? He's blaspheming God, and you're going to let him do it? So he says, I'll battle the brute. And what does King Saul do? He says, here, take my armor. Because you need to have armor. You're supposed to wear this before you go into battle. This is what you're supposed to look like. This is what you're supposed to wear and the sword that you need if you're going to go into battle. Because he has all of these worldly understandings, notions that this is what you're supposed to do. And what did he go out there with? A couple of smooth stones. and And the man went down. Insane. This makes no sense. And here we have a carpenter telling a fisherman, an experienced fisherman, push out a little bit deeper. And here's what Simon said. Master, we've worked all night. We've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything but because you say so, 
I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Now Peter could have just dropped the nets and said, no. I'm tired. I'm hangry. I'm ready to go home. But because you said so, I'll do it. Something that didn't make any sense. I've been out all night. They're not jumping into the nets by themselves. Peter had to move past his feelings, past his reasoning, overcome his exhaustion and simply obey. And because he did, he saw something miraculous. Well, if you think about it, Jesus didn't actually do anything but tell them to push out a little deeper and try again. Jesus didn't whistle. He didn't throw some cat food out there. My brother-in-law used to do that at his fishing pond, throw cat food out there. And then you see them all popping up. Jesus didn't have any of that. He, or at least Luke didn't record it for us. He didn't hold his hands up and say, Fish, jumpeth into thy net. Because you know he spoke in King James, right? None of that. He just said, Peter, push out a little deeper and drop the net. So what made it happen? Quite frankly, it's the word obedience. Obedience made it happen. Obedience was the key ingredient in this. Scripture says, when Peter obeyed. You see, we're a lot like Peter. Peter knew how to fish, and we know how church is supposed to be done. However, when we tend to keep doing the same things, same way, and we keep getting the same results, you know what they call that? Insanity. It's not the medical term or the professional term, but I like it. It fits perfectly with the routines and traditions we find ourselves in. Peter had the boat. He had the fishing gear. He had the experience. He had the know-how. He had everything necessary to be a successful fisherman. But he came up empty. Until he received a calling from God, a directive from God, and he obeyed. And he experienced a God-sized moment. And what does that moment do? It fell him to his knees. Again, verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, 
he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful, foolish, selfish man. That's where obedience takes us every time. It drops us to our knees before an awesome God who knows how to do awesome things. It's only after we let go of our preconceived ideals, the way we've always done them, or the way the world works, when we let go of that, the things that make sense by those standards, and we actually obey and do what Jesus calls us to do, that's when we'll experience a movement of God. God-sized results. And it's then that we'll realize how foolish that we've been in pushing our own agenda, pushing our own way, forcing our traditions onto God and saying, God, will you please bless this? It's what we really want to do. Peter's response, I am a sinful, selfish, foolish man. And it's in that moment of truest confession when we see Jesus for who he is and we end up in the place where he can use us. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will catch men. That's the NIV version says, you will catch men. I just spent the entire night not catching anything and now Jesus is saying from now on you will catch men. It is a certainty you will. Now I know King James, we're, we're used to the, be the fishers of men. Here's what that translation says. I will make you fishers of men. I already know how to fish. I already know how to do church. It's not about doing church. It's about being faithful to the mission that God has given us here and now in this day. A couple of months ago, Lifeway came out with its annual statistical report from 2019. Of course, right now we have to kind of look at everything from 2019, right? 2020, whoo. All right. According to the research, we're baptizing one person for every 68 members in a Georgia Baptist church. One person for every 68 members of a Georgia Baptist church a year. Now, I looked at your statistics, and your statistics for 2019, I believe I saw correctly that your, your membership attendance in 2019 is 130 by the ending of the year. You baptized two. That goes in line with these statistics. According to last year's statistics, it takes 
68 believers to lead one to Christ. According to these statistics, Southern Baptist membership is down 1 million across 10 years' time. According to, according to this, make sure I, I get this correct, our baptism numbers fell 4% between 2018 and 2019. According to this study, we had the lowest membership drop than a from over a, a, a hundred years. Our hearts ought to be breaking over what we're seeing and experiencing. And it ought to cause us to drop to our knees and say, Lord, we are a sinful, selfish, Foolish people. We ought to take on the posture of Peter and ask ourselves do we care? Do our hearts ache? Are we just worried about staying afloat, meeting our budget? Or do we truly ache for what we see taking place in this world? 2020, right here, now. I'm not so concerned about what worked 20 years ago when I see statistics like this happening today. And I see what's going on in our world on the news. And I see the hatred and the anger. Let me tell you another insane thing that Jesus told us we're supposed to do. Love your neighbor as yourself. And I am wondering, here in 2020, as I hear all of this happening in our communities, in our world, in our nation right now, where's the church? Where is the church? Where is the passion? Where's the heartache? Because I'm not hearing it. I'm not experiencing it. I'm not seeing it. Is it because the news are, is ignoring it? Are we going and embracing and pleading? 2 Corinthians chapter 5 tells us 
that we are God's ambassadors as if God is making his appeal through us be reconciled unto God. I'm concerned that we aren't fulfilling our role as ambassadors. We're too concerned with keeping up with the shop. And our world aches as a result of that. Here's where we need to get convicted. Eventually, at some time, somewhere along the way, we need to step out from the processional line that we've been stuck in come under holy conviction regarding our responsibility with the Great Commission and address the empty nets that we're producing. And be willing to ask ourselves if we're truly interested in reaching today's world, today's culture, breaking into this 21st century setting, or hold on to the fishing spot that we've grown accustomed to fishing in. So some key takeaways from this passage today is that before God called the apostles, he looked to see if they were willing to let him be Lord, to let go of what didn't make sense, of the mindset that this is the way things are supposed to be done, and let him do what they have been trying so hard to do on their own. And watch him fill up their nets. Are we willing to put ourselves in that position? Let's pray.